Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fire Away, the podcast dedicated to sports here at St. George's School and in the wider world beyond campus. I'm your host, Devin McGrath-Conwell. Today, in a change of pace from our first episode, I'm sitting down with Xander Jones, the current Dean of Students here at St. George's School. Xander is a huge baseball fan, as am I, and we're both missing having the MLB and other forms of baseball around right now. So we decided that we would talk about movies that we've been watching to replicate some of our sports time, and also just baseball movies we love, because it's a genre that I go back to time and again, and one that he does as well. So please sit back and enjoy my interview with him and our conversations about our top five baseball movies. Well, today I'm very excited. I have Xander Jones in with me. For those who don't know him, he is the Dean of Students here at St. George's and a big baseball fan. So thank you for coming on, Xander. Thank you for having me, Devin. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're breaking, I'm breaking tradition here in now one episode in, we're going to do something other than an interview, and that Xander and I are going to talk about baseball movies, because we are both mourning the loss of the MLB season right now. Um, I know it's been hard for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, it's definitely been different. Um, yeah. And so this uh, this concept of talking baseball movies is, is, I think, perfect for definitely you and me and probably many other people yeah. out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm as everyone who knows me here knows, I'm just such a movie nerd that I'm constantly turning to movies at the time that I need it. (laughs) And I really need it right now. (laughs) No, certainly. I think all of us were looking for our outlets in different spaces. And so I can say for sure, um, my Netflix, my Prime, and my HBO have certainly captured a lot of my attention yeah. in the last several weeks. So, yeah. um, discussing movies, especially baseball movies, of which there's so many out there. That yeah. are, A, there's so many out there, and B, there's so many great ones mm-hmm. out there. Um, this should be fun. Yeah. So I guess before we dive into the movies themselves, and the structure we're going to do is we've both picked five movies that we really love. Um, we have some overlap, but interestingly enough, because there are so many, we have some different ones to talk about. But before we do that, I figured it would be useful for us to just give listeners an idea of what our histories with baseball are. Um, And Xander's is much more interesting than mine. Um, We'll get to my sad sack reality with baseball, even though as much as I love it, (laughs) it's not not like I added anything (laughs) to it. Um, But Xander, how did you come to baseball? Uh, You know, like a lot of kids growing up in the, you know, I was born in the mid 80s. um, And so in the early early 90s that's when sort of youth sports took off for me Uh, both my parents are coaches so the concept of competition was always around me Mm -hmm. and like many um, my father for you know just a note is actually a lacrosse coach Um, and so but had grown up playing baseball Mm -hmm. actually ran track at St. George's um, because lacrosse wasn't a big sport and then picked it up in college when he was at Hobart uh, in the early 70s and so Baseball, like most youth of America, is, you know, the spring sport you play. Mm-hmm. You learn the other sports later, but that's that's sort of the one you take on. So, um, you know, grew up, obviously, um, Little League majors, minors majors, all those things. But growing up as a private school uh, faculty kid um, was always tagging along with the high school kids, mm-hmm. um, which was probably my greatest gift, um, was that my parents were coaching pretty much every season 
Um, so I was left on my own, which was <laughs> awesome. And, you know, there's always the safety net of, um, of a boarding school campus. You know, you're not, you're never, you have 300 plus older brothers and sisters and yeah, yeah. another 70 parents who are always going to look out for you. So it's not the end of the world. Um, but that was my, you know, my youth experience. But, you know, getting to high school, I actually almost quit baseball. Really? Um, my father was the head lacrosse coach at Pomfret um, and sort of in a Michael Jordan-esque um, <laughs> state, I got cut from varsity baseball as a freshman oh, wow. and I was crushed. Um, and I told my father that I was going to quit baseball and play lacrosse, which I had always been doing growing up as well, hanging out with some of his teams as, uh, as well. Um, and he said no. Um, even though he was a wow. lacrosse coach and had dedicated um, to that point 20, 30 years of his life to playing the game, coaching the game, um, he said, you're, gonna, you're not going to be a quitter. Uh, you're going to live out the season at, at the JV team. And if after that season and after your summer baseball, which you're going to play, um, you want to come play lacrosse next year, go ahead. Like, we'd love to have you. You know I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, my summer experience was a good one. Um, you know, made varsity baseball the next year. Unlike Michael Jordan, I did not commit <laughs> to a high-profile uh, institution, but I ended up playing soccer and baseball in college at Ohio Wesley University. Um, had a pretty solid career as a starting pitcher. Um, left sort of, you know, was coaching at Salisbury and uh, here, but the last five summers, um, have really sort of dedicated myself to to baseball. I've mm -hmm. coached three three seasons with, at the college level, and then two summers with um, with really elite high school talent as a 17 year old group and a 15 year old team uh, based in Massachusetts that I did for a couple summers as well. So it's taken up a lot of my life. Yeah. Um, as a pitcher, I didn't play every day. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> So I think that lent itself well to getting into coaching where, you know, you're yeah. constantly sitting there analyzing the game, uh, thinking about how you can support your teammates because that's one of your jobs as a starting pitcher, which I was. Uh, where In the college, you only pitch maybe once a week, maybe twice a week if you're lucky, but um, pretty much the weekend series is what you're looking for mm -hmm. as a starter. So um, I've really had a, an incredible experience in the game and, you know, have coached some of the worst and uh, have been lucky enough to coach a handful of first round draft picks as well. Yeah. And so it's been, uh, it's been an incredible road that I've been lucky to be a part of. I love that. <laughs> I really, really love the Michael Jordan comp. Too. You know, it's uh, we love humility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, in, in contrast, while I played baseball, I started with T-ball, as we all do, mm -hmm. and um, I played up through the beginning of high school, but I was never that good. Um, I was never the fastest, never the strongest um, guy on the baseball team, and some of that's because, you know, your basic lack of self-confidence issues then manifest on the field, and it's just dominoes. Um, <laughs> but I loved the game. I grew up a really hardcore Red Sox fan which is always interesting because my dad is from Philly. So he was originally a Phillies fan, but then when he moved to Maine um, and married my mom, he converted to a Sox <laughs> fan. And uh, it's not like my mom's a big 
Well, she wasn't a huge baseball person, but now she's become the person in the house who will stay up when the rest of us have gone to bed, which is just an incredible transition to uh, <laughs> behold. Um, but I always loved loved the game, and I would watch the game. I would go, and even though I wasn't good, I loved playing it. And I did find, interestingly enough, I became a pitcher in the end, and that was kind of where I found a spot that I liked. Um, and then I destroyed my shoulder. <laughs> um, and that ended that. But I was able to be the official announcer for the Little League. Um, yeah, the Little League that I was in the final couple of years. And then the first year of Babe Ruth. Because I was just washed up at 17. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> needed to find something to do. Um, but I think that my love manifested in other ways to continue. Like, I have a massive baseball card collection that is still sitting there in my room that I go through every now and then it makes me happy um, and just going to games I was lucky enough the Sox minor league team the Sea Dogs was about a 20 minute drive from where I grew up in Maine so we went a lot um, and there I got to see a lot of Sox players like Matt Hanley Ramirez and Clay Buckles and these people who went through that you know as a kid was like oh my god <laughs> and it's still cool to think about um, but it's definitely been more of a position as a fan in the last 10 years, especially. Um, high point when the Sox won most recently. Nobody I lived with at Middlebury wanted to watch it, so I was alone during the marathon game, <laughs> just sitting there at the kitchen table trying not to scream while everyone was asleep. <laughs> and, and that's really where we come to <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with things. Um, but now I'm... I am finding myself turning again to so many movies for it, which is just normal for me in general. Um, but now the idea of I can't sit down and watch a game with people by myself. I can't have it on in the background, anything like that. So to recreate the experience of watching a baseball game is just a blessing right now in a lot of ways. And so I guess that, that brings us to our, our movie countdown. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, digging into the movies, I don't know about you, Xander, I have mine in a vague top five from five to one, but it's hard for me to separate them. Um, but do we want to dive in on your, your number five? So I'm sort of in the same boat. Um, I would say my number one is very clear, mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, there's, it was so challenging uh, as I recounted all of the baseball movies that I've seen in my life. Um, to really break into that top five. And so one that I'm gonna throw out is um, is a recent one. And it's not a Hollywood film or production. Um, it's actually a documentary called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Okay. Um, and it highlights, um, you know, where I think you, you, know, you as a movie guy uh, could really get into this. It highlights the Portland Mavericks, which is part of an independent league mm -hmm. um, franchise in Portland, Oregon, that um, indie ball, you know, just for folks out there who are unsure, like Major League Baseball and Minor League Affiliates are not the only levels of baseball that exist in the world. There are independent baseball leagues that, you know, pick up all over the country throughout um, really the summer months. It's, you're probably looking at early June to, you know, September, early mid-September, more often than not, where guys are you know, probably pay, playing three to five games a week, 
and they're playing for love of the game mm -hmm. and also <laughs> to scrape together a little bit of cash, but it's yeah. not much. I mean, you're right. looking at maybe a few hundred bucks here and there. Um, so at that point, you're sort of holding on. You're hoping to get um, maybe get noticed. Maybe you're overlooked at some point, uh, and you're hoping to get noticed by um, – by a, a true professional franchise with the hopes of working your way towards higher levels of baseball. but for, Or for, on the opposite end, it's the guys who have been on those levels who are just hoping for those mm. extra couple months in the yeah. sun um, to, to relive some of those glory days and hold on to the game that they really love. But interestingly enough, um, it is a, t a franchise that was purchased by Kurt Russell's father. Wow. Um, who had been a baseball fanatic his life. He had been in showbiz um, and had purchased his team. And what I didn't realize at the time is that Kurt Russell was a big-time baseball player. No way. Um, so in, in, in addition to being a childhood star, yeah. he goes on to play a really pivotal role on this Portland Mavericks team. <laughs> in the, they're playing in, I think, the Northwest League or the California uh -huh. League, something like that, um, back in the 1970s. And what it does in this movie is it just brings the, the franchise. Um, Major League Baseball had gone through sort of a refranchising um, process in the 70s where they were determining how to allocate minor league um, assets and finances and, and, you know, sort of like a restructuring of that league. And so... Uh, so this Portland team was, was ready to move. Mm. And so senior Russell brought this team back in, and they brought a lot of flair and showbiz to it. It was almost like the 1980s Lakers when Jerry Buss bought them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, not just wow. basketball, but we're going to bring in Hollywood, and we're going to bring the Laker girls, which cheerleaders at professional basketball had never really been heard mm -hmm. of at that time. Um, and so it was sort of, you know, it was sort of this flair that came with it. And what it did was um, it gave those guys who had either never had a shot or who had their chance and were still looking for more an opportunity to play the game. And they ended up figuring out a way to break into a ball of minor league baseball. Uh -huh. And they had acted as a team that season in the league. And they had tremendous success. <laughs> um, and they brought great pride um, and energy to the city of Portland. And so it is, um, it just showcases another side of baseball that goes completely overlooked by mainstream society yeah. because you really don't know where to find it unless you're in, you know, they're usually smaller towns where you'll find these teams. You may have a great turnout of a few hundred fans, or if you're lucky and you're in a really remote place where it's the only thing going on, mm -hmm. maybe you'll grab a few thousand, but um, it's very, very low impact um, when you think of Major League Baseball and potentially 60,000 people being at a stadium. Um, and so for me as, as a history major um, and somebody who enjoys the true story mm -hmm. um, or a version of the true story, <laughs> which many of our, our Hollywood teams yes. will um, will undergo, um, to just get a glimpse of that lifestyle and sort of the openness of the tryout. And then to see those guys who were basically overlooked or considered washed up mm -hmm. to find tremendous success is just a fascinating story. Yeah. And this is one I haven't seen, so I'm going to have to check it out because that sounds, that kind of documentary sounds right up my alley uh, for sure. So my number five is a very different baseball movie and is my bold-faced nostalgia pick for this list, and that's The Sandlot. Um, and I pick that because 
that's the first baseball movie I remember mattering to me uh, in any sort of way. And especially because, as I was no all-star at any point, Smalls is a <laughs> an important character for me. <laughs> I was not quite at the level of I couldn't catch it and I was running around um, desperately. But I had a better glove and I did have a father who would teach me how to play catch as opposed to Bill, who's a little little bit of a failure in that regard with him. <laughs> um, but I, I think Sandlot, Sandlot has this great, like if, when I think of it, I think of it in a weird way similar to The Godfather, not in terms of style and quality necessarily, but The Godfather is just sepia toned and has this, you're looking at an old time feeling. And I think The Sandlot captures that same sort of, this is a recollection from a child's perspective. And so it has this it feels older, the way the tones look um, and the way everyone's acting is a little over the top. It feels like a kid's recounting of a kid's life. Um, and just, I think the characters are so well fleshed out in their way. I mean, Benny is such a believable all-star character and Squints is just, I mean, you could go on and on about Squints being <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but I just think there are so many scenes that are ingrained into my head from it that are the baseball scenes and the non-baseball scenes because I think the baseball scenes themselves have this wonderful energy to them. You, they feel like the kids. They're running around. Um, and then the whole idea of the beast <laughs> and just <laughs> that fairy tale quality. It really goes into Home Alone territory, I think, when they're trying to get the ball back. <laughs> I don't know. I was just expecting Macaulay Culkin to pop up when I was rewatching it. and be like, oh, no. Um, but I don't know because... This one isn't on your list. It actually did make it. It did make it. It did make it, yeah. Okay. So that was actually going to be my next one. Oh, was, well, fantastic. Was Sandlot, yeah. So what, what, what about Sandlot for you? Well, I think what's special about the Sandlot, and, you know, all those, the things that you just mentioned are so spot on, but capturing a time um, of simplicity uh, in the world. And certainly they're capturing a different era. You know, we are looking back into the 70s, really, mm -hmm. of youth in America. Um, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe the 60s. But yeah. um, but I think, you know, in today's world of the 21st century, that's almost a reality that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You don't have, you know, the world of youth sports. And, you know, I was a part of it for a few, a few summers and certainly growing up playing, you know, with some different teams um, is is so um, financially driven mm -hmm. that the concept of sort of free play mm. and getting on your bikes and going to a, going to an empty park and you know making your own rules and talking about ghost runners and yeah, yeah. you know then you got the bullies who are coming in because uh -huh. they're coming you know from the organized team yeah. and you know you have to settle some of those scores on your own um, and part of you know part of that is growing up. Mm -hmm. Man, you know, managing conflict, how to how to sort out some, you know, uh, negotiating some of that conflict, um, and really, you know, I think when they talk about teaching life through sports, those are those moments that that really capture that. Yeah. And so, you know, I've had numerous conversations with folks um, when you see just the gross structure of organized sports these days, mm -hmm. where you've got kids as young as you know six and seven years old 
signing on with a club soccer team or a club baseball team and you know going in for private instruction because yeah. every parent wants the best for their kids um, you know luckily for me growing up on a boarding school campus where I had my two best friends down the road for me either way like and I had some of those freedoms because again we're in the safety mm -hmm. of a boarding school campus yeah um, it's not a real world um, <laughs> we do live in a fantasy that <laughs> yeah you know the bubble is real yeah um, but it's just something that, you know, I don't think a lot of our kids see today. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because there's so much growth that happens yeah. in those moments. Um, I can speak to getting into fights with literally my best friends, like mm -hmm. knock down, shoving, maybe a few fists here and there. But yeah. we work them out and, yeah. and you work them out together. And um, yeah, they're still good friends. Yeah. Actually, one of them is my best friend. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so those are the things that I think just um, are conveyed so well through the Sandlot mm -hmm. that it's about it's about the guys yeah and it's about you know that growth together as a group of young men mm -hmm. um, exploring the world together um, through the highs and lows yes and, and yeah. some of the joys that exist throughout <laughs> that movie I know I I love everything you have to say about it and I, I think that last point of it doesn't make them one size fits all kids also i think that those moments those so many of the their quote-unquote low moments are so comedic for us <laughs> uh, i mean the the fairground scene will mean that for the rest of my life whenever i hear the song tequila i will just think of vomit because <laughs> they made their choice and then they spewed it everywhere and <laughs> that just the fact that the movie makes me smile thinking about that moment I think is such an accomplishment and just the joy um, like their moments in the pool and really everything that Ham does Ham is one of my favorite characters I think in any sports movie just the scene you referenced earlier when the kind of organized ball club comes in and they're playing and just there's this montage of Ham talking smack <laughs> <laughs> and everything he has to say is just so great and they just know it and they just let him run um, and I think that it knows that baseball players have these larger than life personas as we think about them that um, a movie I'm going to talk about later on this list Moneyball there's a line Billy Bean has that's it's hard not to get romantic about baseball and I think Sandlot is the correct amount of romantic in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but it's a great one I loved rewatching it I needed that this week <laughs> and I was like ah this is so fun. Um, okay, so that's... So that's my four. So yeah, what's so it's, it's both of our... Yeah. So my my number four is Bull Durham, mm. which I know is also on your list. Mm -hmm. So I'll give my spiel, and then... Um, I like this movie a lot. I don't think I love it as much as you do, not because I have anything against it, but it just... There's another Kevin Costner movie that means a lot more to me, and... I don't know if that is something internally in my head about too much Kevin Costner. But um, Bull Durham, I love because I think in some ways it's a baseball movie and it's also a great romantic comedy. And just the, for people who haven't seen it, this kind of love triangle between um, Crash, Nuke, and um, Susan Sarandon's character, whose name I'm forgetting. Annie. Annie need to do better with my names, um, is just so great. And, but the baseball, too. I think, I will say from the list of movies, I think the baseball in Bull Durham is some of the best, like, playing 
that I've seen in a movie just because you really get in there with Crash and going like, stop thinking about the girl, just get the hit. You get these moments of Costner's narration and then Annie being the super fan who also then expresses her love of the game in some very physical ways <laughs> with her players. Um, that it's just really fun. So where is it on your list? That's number one for it's me. Number one. It is number oh, one. God. Um, do you want to save it when we get to number one to do your thing, or do you want to talk about it now? I can talk about it now. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, the, there's, the thing about Bull Durham that you've definitely you know, classified very well, it, it, it is, it's a hybrid of romance mm-hmm. with some great baseball, and I think that's what makes it number one for me, yeah. is that it's very real. Um, the concept of Crash Davis, for those of you who have not seen it, um, Crash is a journeyman minor leaguer, um, and he's the catcher. And he's basically, you know, in the f- one of the early scenes, um, when the manager and assistant coach ask, you know, who are you? He's like, I'm the player to be named later. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the guy who's part of a trade deal um, that ultimately comes up months later, and now he's made his way to the Durham Bulls. And his job is to work with this young pitcher, Tim Robbins' character, uh, Ebby Calvin Nuke is his nickname because <laughs> yeah. early in the movie he thinks he needs to have a nickname because he's a number one overall, uh, a, a first round pick, um, and uh, Lelouch. And so Crash Davis's job throughout this movie is to educate this young player. And that's oftentimes what the minor leagues are about. And that's why minor league rosters exist, especially in the, uh, you know, A ball, um, high A, low A, double A, you start to see some more of your elite prospects. So you talking about being in Portland, the double mm-hmm. A affiliate for the Red Sox. Yeah. That's where you see all the studs, the kids mm-hmm. who are just yeah. around the corner. Um, and you often see them jump to major league baseball and bypass triple A level. Because the AAA is more where you're going to see sort of your journeymen, the guys mm-hmm. who are, you know, maybe they've been called up and then reassigned. But, you know, low A ball is really about educating and giving young players a chance to play. So, you know, the fact that that education exists between this journeyman catcher and this young, upcoming, um, hotshot pitcher where they're just lessons about the game mm. throughout the entire movie that take place. Um and so for me, just it, it just rings so true. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever played professional baseball or was even close, because yeah. spoiler alert, I wasn't. <laughs> um, but just knowing what I know, and you know, there, but there are scenes in that movie that are very real. Mm-hmm. Um, they show up. They're on a road trip. You know, the road trips in in, uh, in the minor leagues, they're not glamorous. There are no chartered planes flying you from place to place. You're going out for eight, 10, 12 day road trips on a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, you're eating pretty mediocre food <laughs> at best because minor league baseball players don't make a lot of money. Yeah, They don't, it, you know, you hear about signing bonuses and you hear the 300, $400 million contracts of today, but that's not the real world in minor league baseball. You are literally living each day for your contract and you are, um, your daily habits are a result of that. Like McDonald's becomes your friend. Mm, it's mm. real. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where they talk about um, begging for a rain, a rain yes. delay, a That's rain out. One of my favorite And scenes. Kevin Costner being the wily vet, he goes to the stadium and he triggers the sprinkler system so that the next day the field is unplayable. 
even the per- people who love the game the most, mm. and you know, I can s- speak to this on the coaching side, but certainly the playing side. You know, um, between college and you know, a league I played in summer, I played almost ninety games in um, in really about a five month span. I mean, that's a lot that's of amazing. baseball, and so when you run into that, um, even the the greatest lover of the game begs for that day off mm-hmm. every now and then. And when you get it, it is the greatest gift in the world. <laughs> and so the rain gods, sometimes they help you. Yeah. Um, and it can be some of those things that restart ball clubs. Yeah. And that, there's a scene in that movie specifically. So it's just so true. It yeah. really is. Um, and then uh, there's obviously many dynamite lines in that mm-hmm. movie that... Um, it's an incredible script. That, that capture, yeah. The writing, it, which... For me, you know, the comedic side as well as the historian and yeah. lover of the game. I mean, those are some things that I think make some of my picks what they are. It's yeah. just the writing in each of these movies is so mm-hmm. well done. Yeah, I, I with the writing, I think everything, every line that Crash has, in some way or another, whether it's giving that kind of journeyman advice to Nuke, or I love. I think the first time I saw this movie, the moment I was like, oh, I'm in for this, was when there's a scene where Annie is trying to court both of these guys but hasn't made up her mind yet for Nuke and Crash. And Crash is like, I don't want to deal with this. And he gets up and he delivers this just like, when she's like, what do you like? And he just goes off. And it's it's a little over the top, but in the best way. And I think that that's how I would summarize a lot of how I feel about the movie is that at the same time is this raw, real feeling between really the relationship between two men and how you deal with clashes in friendship and masculinity. And then also when you throw romance in there, that's a whole nother ball game mm-hmm. to make a terrible pun on a baseball <laughs> podcast. Um, but it allows it to also have these just larger than life moments. So yeah, Bull Durham, I don't want to undersell how good this movie is. I just have it lower for my own reasons, but it's a good movie. So that's my four. I think I gave my one, so I think it's back to you for number three. Number three. Um, So my number three is The Natural. And The Natural is, just to give a little bit on if people haven't seen it because it's an older movie, it stars Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs, who is this incredibly gifted um, young man baseball player who goes to a tryout for the majors and before he gets there he's shot and so he never makes it and then you flash forward 16 years and it's him in being traded to a professional team that is really in the dumps (laughs) the Knights and they're struggling and he's this guy who's been scouted and nobody wants to believe that this guy who is now in his late 40s could possibly be this help. Um, and then the way it unfolds is really, I think of it as a baseball fairy tale. Like if Sandlot is this kind of fable for kids, I think the natural has this mythological quality to it. There's a character early on who talks about mythology and talks about the heroes. And I think that's intentional because Roy Hobbs has this larger than, I keep saying larger than life, and I don't think that's what I want here. He has this heroic sort of persona while also being a little more complicated than that. Um, but like his baseball bat, he carved as a kid after his dad died from a tree that was struck by lightning. Like it has this, <laughs> this is my sword that I have pulled. This is my Excalibur. 
sort of feeling to it. Um, and then the idea of the natural is he is just this naturally gifted person. Um, did this one make it on? It didn't okay. make it. It's it's on it's the bubble. Close. It's so close because in so many ways, um, it's a period piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to and it it peels out some things. You know that I think either intentionally or not, but were part of the era um, of the corruption yeah. that existed in baseball. Um, it's got an incredible cl- cast. You're looking at mm-hmm. Glenn Close, Kim Basinger. Um, Bob Duvall, like, yeah. you're looking at some, you know. Yeah. Wilford Brimley. In, in <laughs> typical Robert Redford fashion, brought in the big yeah. guns to yeah. <laughs> work a movie with him. Um, you know, it was it was a fringe movie for me, be, mm-hmm. and I could definitely watch it over and over yeah. again. Um, just wasn't wasn't quite there. But there are so many elements to the movie that are such quality. Um, and, I you know, I think for Hobbes, which is uh, Redford's character, um, the honor mm-hmm. in, in the game itself and steering, cl- attempting to steer clear of that corruption and, you know, being true to the game, um, I think is, is something of note and a great yeah. lesson. Yeah. And if, if I can go full film major for a second, um, I, Please think, do. I think what always has appealed to me about it is that it's this grand sweeping Hollywood movie and... It, you know, it was made in the 70s, but it has this feeling of something that was coming out earlier, like a, a 50s kind of American story about American ethos and the dream and all of this. And because of that, the production qualities, Randy Newman turns in, I think, one of the best scores of his career. It has this sweeping sense of just bold codas and music that matches this larger, larger than life again. Um, persona that Roy Hobbs is bringing um, and the cinematography is gorgeous with this use of shadow and light to that corruption that Xander was talking about we have the darkness that is going on in baseball and Hobbs is this you know for people who don't know what Redford looks like he's kind of this all-american tall blonde guy Um, and so in that fairy tale quality he has that mythic I'm going into the darkness to save something Um, and he has his faults I mean we talked about Glenn Close, she plays Iris, who is his kind of childhood sweetheart, who he leaves behind. And then she comes to one of his games, and he is centered by her in this really beautiful scene in it. And just that story of, I think for the same way that the romance in Bull Durham is really effective, the kind of romance in The Natural is the one that appeals to me. It's this like big Hollywood, Casablanca, coming together sort of thing. Um, and I'm a sucker for that at the end of the day. Um, and then we get, without giving it away for anyone who hasn't seen it, you get an incredible finish. I think probably my favorite last scene in any sports movie. Um, and, you know, it includes an at-bat by Redford. And he, one of my favorite fun facts is there's this huge foul ball he hits before, and that's almost a home run. And he actually hits it and they just needed to get the shot of him almost getting it. And there's this great story he tells in an interview about how many takes they had to get, but then he (laughs) did it, and they could go on. (laughs) Um, But that's the natural. That's my number three. So what is your? So my number three is A League of Their Own. Yes. Um, Which, again, going history on you, it, um, I believe, early 90s, um, early mid-90s, Tom Hanks, Madonna, 
Um, Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, the cast is is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it talks about a change that existed in American baseball. Um, it was during the World War II years, and um, women were given their first real chance to participate in what was considered a men's game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know. It, it tells us that John Lovitz is in it. Um, yeah. He's a scout in the in the original, but it, you know, it tells the story of these two sis- sisters and their, um, you know, they're being scouted and brought together so these four teams could get created um, in Chicago, and it just. Tom Hanks as the manager, Jimmy Dugan in the movie, um, who plays. You know, a character of moral questionability. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to put it. <laughs> is um, the lines that he offers are mm-hmm. just phenomenal. But um, which, again, going back to the comedic historical yeah. aspects yeah. of it all, um, are, are very good. But I, I, I think it's just a nice um, opportunity for women in sports. Which you know, if you think about it, Title Nine. Um, which is seen as sort of the sports rule in American society is not the sports rule. It was about mm-hmm. equal opportunity across the board yeah. um, for women, education, and sports was a byproduct of that. But because sports having the, um, I think, interest and um, an ability to capture the minds of so many, that automatically looks to it as like a sports rule. That that didn't exist until the early 70s mm. where women were given the opportunity to participate in sports, but not certainly equal opportunity yeah. to participate in sports. So to go back to the 40s and have this um, be a moment, uh, I think is a, is a good thing, even though there's plenty of negative to it. I mean, the women are playing in skirts yeah. um, and high <laughs> socks. Like that's definitely, you know, not what, what needed to be. It's what mm-hmm. it was, but... Um, and then just a fun fact, a guy that I worked with at my previous school, his grandmother was a participant really? in the All-American Women's Baseball League. Um, and so having, I never met, had the chance to meet her, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, she would go back to Cooperstown and be a part of events yeah. that were taking place. And for those of you who don't know, Cooperstown, New York is home of the Baseball Hall of Fame in America. Um, and so I, I think those are just cool aspects too. And so it, but it does... It tells a story of of, of sisterhood uh, in, in many respects. Like, that is the underlying battle that exists. It's a younger sibling, you know, really looking for her moment. Um, eventually gets it, but there's a battle that exists throughout that entire time as well as en- engaging in some of the um, experiences that are happening in America in the 40s. Yeah. And th- this one just missed being on my list. Um, and for all of the reasons that you're talking about. And it's just, I think this is one of the funniest baseball movies ever made. And I, one of the scenes I go to whenever I need to laugh is the sign-off between Gina Davis's character and Tom Hanks' character, where they're literally just <laughs> fighting with each other on who the batter is going to look to for signs. And it just goes back and forth, and it's this whole, this thing of tension where Tom Hanks as the manager wasn't taking it seriously and this is kind of a turning point in how he considers it Um, but then it it gives you know in the list of iconic Tom Hanks lines you get there's no crying in baseball 
which we can unpack in all sorts of ways. But in terms <laughs> of um, just classic, iconic, that one I feel like has remained as something people think about a lot in the movie. Um, but it's just, it's a wonderful period piece. And who knew Madonna would make a convincing baseball player? Quite the center fielder. She did quite quite a good job. Well, I think, you know, when you speak to No Crying in Baseball, the, uh, the character in that movie that he is, um, he's speaking to, she's also a mother in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and her son, Spalding, who is the bane of the team's existence, um, <laughs> is is with them everywhere. And, you know, I, again, I, you know, when we think about um, the output of women in society and being parents, you know, mm-hmm. that was the primary responsibility in, uh, in that era. And, you know, in some sex, that's still how it is today. But, um, but seeing that as a part of the piece where this young boy, he must be probably four years old yeah. in the movie is with them in the dugout. He's with mm-hmm. them on the bus. He's with them in the hotel. Um, and so just recognize that contract that, uh, that, um, concept that yes my job is to be a professional baseball player in this league but I'm also a parent and this is part of yeah. my responsibility with husband maybe at war mm-hmm. so yeah Spalding Spalding quite the character <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess is this is it me now so that was yeah that was your number three that was my number three okay and I think you gave your number three. I did. So now it's your number two. It's my number two. I can count. This is great. For an English teacher, this means a lot. Yeah. Counting. Two right. humanities yeah. <laughs> teachers here bringing the best. Um, so my number two is Moneyball. And I just love, 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 love Moneyball. I rewatched it this morning to prepare for this. And part of this is because Brad Pitt is maybe my favorite movie star. I wouldn't say my favorite actor necessarily, but I think everything he is in, he is incredible in and brings such power to it. And Moneyball felt like, um, I mean, he's done a lot of really great acting and really high profile roles, but Moneyball for me felt like a turn to this kind of era Brad Pitt we're in now, which is a lot of him taking incredibly meaty roles that launch him into award season conversation and therefore launch him into this place of, we're going to talk about him as a really serious actor and not just as the blonde guy in Troy who was beautiful but like <laughs> that's the conception I think a lot of people had of him um, and in Moneyball he plays Billy Bean in the real life story of how the Oakland Athletics changed their way of doing baseball to the metrics and very math based composition of a team in the I believe it's the 2002 season Sounds right. Yeah, 2002-2003 season. And um, it's just, it's this very nuts and bolts backstage baseball drama, which I think is different than everything else I have on the list, at least. I think Battered Bastards of Baseball might be a little closer to that general behind-the-scenes idea. But it's, for me, just a great movie. It plays into my aesthetic love. So Steve Zalen... And Aaron Sorkin wrote the script, and Aaron Sorkin of West Wing fame, A Few Good Men. Steve Zalen has written almost every screenplay that Steven Soderbergh has directed. And Brad Pitt is a guy who's worked with them a lot. And the movie looks to me like a David Fincher movie because it's all these really dark colors and shadows. I'm always a little confused that Bennett Miller is the director, who I don't think I've seen anything else Bennett Miller directed, but Moneyball is 
great in that sense <laughs> that he captures it and he lets the actors go. Um, it's Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Chris Pratt in a role before he became Star-Lord and Marvel. Yeah, he, I forgot it was Chris Pratt and yeah. then it was him and I was like, oh my God, he's Hatterberg. I yeah. forgot. <laughs> um, but it's this, it's a dryly funny movie. I think Jonah Hill playing the metrics guy who Billy Bean takes away um, onto the athletics is just, he brings his, I think, improvisational skill in a lot of ways. There's just the stories of what he came up with after. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in it as the manager, and it's just a murderer's row of great performers. Robin Wright has a very small role as um, Dean's wife, um, and I always want more Robin Wright, but it's just like the fact that they got even for the small roles, people, you were like, you're great. Um, I think it just it's a case study in this man who never made it as a ball player and has really carried that around and so wants to make it as a GM. And so it's as much about the athletic season and how he's taking on responsibilities as dealing with his own internal struggles. But it never gets so explicit that you feel like it, it never gets sappy or saccharine. It allows him to struggle. And as a spoiler alert for anyone who is not familiar with the athletic season that year, they didn't win the World Series. They had a great season, but they didn't win. Um, and so it's not this rousing, hoorah kind of story. It is a meditation, I think, on what baseball is and how you deal with baseball and your personal story with it, while also being just kind of a f- low-key thriller <laughs> in the way that you wonder, like, how's Bean going to pull it off? It's What's going to happen? It's very true. So. Um, this one didn't make it to your list. It didn't. It's a great movie. I actually read the book in a day. Um, yeah. Phen- phenomenal book. Um, and the movie was good. Um, and it speaks to the way that baseball is explored today. Mm-hmm. Analytics are the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And the Oakland Athletics um, in that season were the first to really dig into it on a large scale. But I also think, you know, for... You know, a couple of Boston sports fans. Yeah. You know, our our mindset is we will spend a lot of money to get the yes. players that we yeah. get. And for anybody who lives in New England, like we're sort of used to that. Um, certainly with the Boston Red Sox in competition with the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. but the rest of baseball does not look that way. Yeah. And so when you get um, if, an inside look of what it takes to run an organization that has a much smaller salary cap and what mm-hmm. owners are willing to pay for. There's a scene in the movie uh, where David Justice talks about how he has to pay for soda in the locker room. Yeah. And then uh, Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, who is still a GM in the major leagues, I think he's still with Oakland, actually, yeah. um, talks about in one of his trades, like, yeah, I want so-and-so and I want you to pay for my soda the rest of the year. <laughs> like, so there's those subtle nuances of like, even for folks who are making millions of dollars mm-hmm. and for owners who have millions and or billions of dollars, like they're still looking at the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a, it's a fascinating um, exploration into really a transformation of B- Major League Baseball in general. So mm-hmm. it's a great movie. The book is outstanding. Yeah. Um, especially if you like numbers, it mm-hmm. really digs into it quite a bit. Um, but that was, yeah, it was definitely on the outside looking in for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. It's the, uh, 
the other side of my film major mind. <laughs> no, it's cool. Sure. I mean, there's so much realness to it. I mean, yeah. you know, sort of the cutthroat nature of it when he mm-hmm. teaches Jonah Hill's character, like, how you cut a player. Yes. Like, that stuff's real. It's nothing mm-hmm. personal. It's just business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that you try to um, make them feel better, like, at the end of the day, they either got traded or they got cut. They're not going to yeah. feel good. So just hit them with the news. Yeah. And and go from there. And it's funny to see Hill's character have real challenge with that. Yeah. And want to have to try to compensate in other areas when yeah. the the news just needs to be delivered. Yeah. So Jonah Hill, I think the real MVP of Moneyball. Um, so now you're number two, and I have a feeling your number two is my number one. I, I don't know. No. My number two is Major League. <gasps> wow. Major League. Major League is a movie I could watch on repeat. Mm-hmm. Um. It's got a good cast, um, which is, you know, all of our movies have great cast, so it's not that shocking to hear yeah. that yet again it's got a good yeah, cast. but it's a theme. Or that it's got great <laughs> writing yeah. because the writing is outstanding again. But um, the comedic value of Major League uh, is just something I could watch over mm-hmm. and over and over again because the lines just don't get old. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's a story about the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, Tom Berenger, uh, Rene Russo uh, are all, and there's there's many more. Um, and it's basically how the Cleveland Indians are in the dumps. They're a terrible team. Their owner has just died. His now his wife is trying to sell the team and move to Miami, and she's trying to figure out all these ways uh, to make that happen. And so throughout the season, and and similarly to Battered Bastards of Baseball. This team, but in a different sense, this team was built to lose. Mm. Whereas the embattled bastards of baseball, those guys were just given up on. Yeah, this team was 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 created to lose, so that way she would have the opportunity to move the team to Florida. And they overcome the obstacles. They figure out a way to pull things together. Um, but without a doubt, the character that makes that movie for me is Bob Euchre, who plays the <laughs> play-by-play announcer and. Yes. You know, the way he can just, and I've seen interviews, a lot of that was just ad-libbed. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there was some writing to it, but he just got on a roll and went for some of these lines, and um, and they're just magic. And so in the end, you know, it's not a huge spoiler alert. They find success. Yeah. It, it, um, it leads to two incredible, one really not so good movie, but tolerable in Major <laughs> League Two. And then Major League Three, back to the minors, is not worth your time whatsoever. But the original Major League, if you're looking for a pure comedic output, mm-hmm. it is there, yeah. and it is well worth the time. Yeah, I think on that the idea with um, the announcer, too, I, something we haven't talked about yet, but just the role of the baseball announcer in the baseball movie. And I agree, I, Major League is one that I enjoy. It's never been necessarily one of my favorites, but he is so good <laughs> and everything he does in there uh, I th- there's a show that I don't know if people have watched but um, it's called Brockmire and it's about Hank Azaria plays a baseball announcer who's really like just falling apart and he's just raunchy and funny and just crazy and I think this is a movie where you can see a lot of the inspiration being pulled um, so I highly recommend Brockmire for people who are wanting a longer-term commitment to something, because um, <laughs> I think it's now in its fourth season, 
um, and is finishing up, but it's quite good. Yeah, and, you know, I think where Harry, Bob Euchre, Harry Doyle in the movie gets is that Bob Euchre was a minor league player. Mm -hmm. You know, he played. I think he actually made it up with, I think he got to the Brewers um, major league team. I'm not positive. Um, But he had also spent some time in broadcast, and so, you know, he was very comfortable in that space, but also, you know, Baseball players are funny fellows. Yes. And yeah. so especially at the lower levels, I mean, there's just a, because the intensity is a little bit different, there's a lot of humor there. And so I think clearly drawing upon some of his experience to um, to capture this character was was awesome. Yeah. So what's your number so one, though? My Let's... number one is Field of Dreams um, because they built it and I came <laughs> to the field. <laughs> um, so it... I think what my list, if I'm looking at my list in general, I think something with baseball movies that I'm in, I'm drawn to is the fairy tale, tall tale, magical bent. Um, I think that baseball as fantasy is such a rich idea. There's a great book called Summerland um, that's a chunk. Like it's a paperweight <laughs> size book, but it's this fantasy story about baseball. And Field of Dreams for me is kind of the baseball movie I think of more than anything for a number of reasons. Um, It's incredibly moving for me. It's like it's on the short list of movies that are always going to make me cry um, because it is the prototypical father and son baseball movie. There's um, Kevin Costner again plays Ray Kinsella, who is a farmer in Iowa, and he's a corn farmer, and he goes out in the field at one point and hears this disembodied voice saying, if you build it, they will come. Um, which is what I was referencing in my bad joke at the beginning of this, <laughs> this tirade. Um, but it turns into Ray building a baseball stadium in his cornfield. And everyone thinks he's crazy, and he seems a little crazy because you don't know what's going on, but then ball players start appearing in the field. And not everyone can see them, but it's this kind of journey that you realize is about reconciliation with his father. and. Baseball is the avenue through that story to be told. And James Earl Jones has a scene-stealing performance as Terrence Mann, the author who turns out to be the disembodied voice. And also my favorite scene in any baseball movie that has nothing to do with baseball is when Annie, who is the character who is Kevin Costner's wife, is in a PTA meeting and they're debating (laughs) a book whether or not it should be read. And it's a Terrence Mann book. Um, and she just goes toe-to-toe with this woman who's just like, we should not let our children read this. Um, and she delivers just one of my favorite lines. And she calls this woman a Nazi cow, and it's just, it's wild. And she comes out, she's sliding in the hallways, and she's so excited. And it's just this freshness and power to the story that the baseball and the mythos is at the center of it. But it's also about this family and everyone gets to be a character and um, it's just beautiful and it's nostalgic. Burt Lancaster has an incredible walk-on role as a doctor who is almost a ball player and um, he makes this choice to save a life instead of getting his fantasy being lived out and it's this powerful moment that I think gets to the core of, it's a movie about baseball but it's about what baseball means to people more than anything. Um, Because there's not a lot of actual baseball being played in the movie. Probably the least amount of any movie on this list, which, for whatever reason, that also being my favorite. I don't know what that says about me. I'm a (laughs) sucker for 
for the narrative. Um, but Field of Dreams is is a very important movie to me in general and an important baseball movie. And yeah. No, definitely. Hey, there's so many moments in that movie um, that are real and certainly the the hunt for finding that solace with his father mm-hmm. you know throughout it all is is so real but going back to the Burt Lancaster piece um, you know he gives this talk so he, in the movie he's playing a doctor and that's sort of how they find him and you know he gives this this talk about having never been able to really make it to mm-hmm. the major leagues being close but never getting his at bat and this is hopefully going to give him that opportunity but he he, he he delivers this little monologue about, um, you know, being in the batter's box and, you know, looking down the pitcher, the pitcher looking him down and how he may react, the crack of the bat, the, um, you know, the roar of the crowd, stretching a double into a triple and flopping into third base. And it's just so real Mm. Um, because those are all emotions that for, you know, in athletics and you know certainly in other areas as well you're taught to visualize things and and you know those are you know seeing those visual moments and those visual cues but also the sounds of the game of baseball um there's something so different and so special about them it's it's certainly i think with wood bat and major league baseball versus the ping of aluminum or whatever Mm -hmm. metals we're using these days (laughs) um whereas you know we were thinking about some of these movies the crack of the bat um you know, the hawker in the stands, yeah. like throwing peanuts and all of those things um, are so real. And I'll t- just tell a small aside because it's really only happened to me once where I've I've felt this before. But uh, I was coaching a college summer league team a few years back and um, we played at Wakona Park, which is in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And it has a wooden grandstand. And when you hit... Ooh the ripple off of the grandstand is like nothing I've ever heard before. Um, and it just, when you think about that movement, uh, the moment with Moonlight, Archie Graham, mm-hmm. um, that's sort of what I think about. Yeah. Also a fun fact about Wakona Park, it's yeah. one of like only two westward facing fields in the country. <laughs> so during games, which started at 6.30, um, there was a potential for the ever rare sun delay um, and so wow. there was a there was a time we were out there. I was coaching for the Martha's Vineyard Sharks, and we were out there, and we had a half an hour sun delay in like the second <laughs> inning. And I had no. We idea. just hung out. Yeah, I think it's one of two parks in in America that that face. Um, I love. That. Go check it out. That's, a, that's an incredible aside. <laughs> uh, well, we did it. Those are our our top fives and I love that we had some similar ones but the fact that we went in different directions I mean let us talk about more which is always good and for people who are needing these you know needing these baseball movies to suit in they they have more options now Um, but just as we wrap up do you have any honorable mentions that you wanted to include but were just short definitely um Eight Men Out, yes, which captures the White Sox scandal um, in 1919, which then parlays into Field of Dreams a little bit mm-hmm. with uh, with one of the roles. I have Little Big League, mm-hmm. um, which is an awesomely bad movie, but I think it's sort of a youth um, 
basically the premise of the story is this kid's grandfather dies, who's the owner of the Minnesota Twins, and he's 12 years old, and he ends up managing the Minnesota Twins. That's um, incredible. And it's sort of like, you know, a, a little bit of a youthful fantasy uh-huh. to be around sort of some of these these big ballers. Um, and then it's hard to talk about baseball without talking about Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. uh, and 42. Yeah. Um, it's such a well-known story, which is why I don't think it made um, made my top five. Yeah. But for folks who don't know baseball or don't know sports um, as well, the, sort of the, the trials and tribulations that Jackie Robinson went through, experienced and lived through, mm-hmm. um, through it all is, is it's just powerful. So if you don't know baseball, yeah. that's definitely a great place to start, mm-hmm. um, certainly from a historical st- uh, perspective. Yeah. And I'll say too, for me on the honorable mentions, I have the Jackie Robinson story, which is this kind of oddball of a movie where Jackie Robinson plays himself in a fictionalized account of his life. This happened. They made this, I think, just a few years after he made it into the majors. And by all accounts, it's not very good. It's, it kind of has this newsreel quality to it. But just as an artifact to actually see Jackie Robinson recreating the same story, um, I think watch 42 first. Because <laughs> you get a better you get a better feeling for it, but then if you're interested in seeing more of the real Jackie Robinson, the Jackie Robinson story is is a great one. I want to say it was like I can't remember what year it came out. It's black and white. It's older. Um, but I also wanted to shout out to um, Ken Burns' mega documentary, Baseball. Um, it's not light watching, but what better time to watch ten hours on the history of baseball? than quarantine, where there are very few options <laughs> what to do with yourself. Um, Ken Burns is probably the most important documentarian in the U.S. Um, that I don't necessarily think that always means he makes the best things, but he's the most influential, and his work is always good, and baseball is one of my favorites of his to dig into. Um, and then the last, the last uh, one I would honorable mention is one that hurts me as a Red Sox fan to admit, and um, that was undeniable for me as a film scholar is um, The Pride of the Yankees starring Gary Cooper that is about Lou Gehrig um, and is probably the most important old Hollywood baseball movie. I can't think of anything else that kind of rivals what it does, but it's a heartbreaking and really beautifully made study of Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth plays himself in the movie also, which is an odd <laughs> move, but this tradition of baseball players playing themselves, I guess, is more common than I think about. Um, but it's a really beautiful movie, and Gary Cooper recreates the Lou Gehrig speech, I'm the luckiest man in the world, um, really well. So if you're looking for more movies, dive from our list into the honorable mentions. Um, but Xander, thank you so much. I had a blast doing this, and I can't wait to go back and watch all the ones I didn't rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was, as you said, this was a blast. This was a lot of fun. Um, it certainly will give folks something to do as we wait for baseball in any form yeah. to roll back around, hopefully at some point in the summer. Yeah. You know, I take wiffle ball at this point. Just give me, <laughs> give me something. And that's it. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Xander. If you end up watching any of our favorites, make sure to leave a comment to tell us what you thought. I'll be back next week with a new episode where I interview Henry Savage about his time at St. George's and beyond. As always, this episode was recorded, mixed, and edited by yours truly, and theme music was provided by Danny Zadie. If you liked what you heard, make sure to rate and follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever else you might be listening. Hang in there and talk soon. Mm-hmm.